On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, certified financial planner, certified investment management analyst, and co-founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Listening audience, you got to know this. This is part two of a two-part series. Brent's got an amazing guest on the show. Andy Sheckman's back. And uh, go back and listen to number one, because it's going to set the foundation for everything they're going to talk about today. Brent, hello. How are you? Are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. I've got, I've got a ton of notes from uh, our first discussion, and I really can't wait to dive into this again. And Andy, when we left each other last time, we were at mile marker number three. So anyone that's that has not listened to the first one, please do because you're you're popping in here in the middle of some some pretty seismic type stuff. And and I, I want to hear where you're going with this, Andy. And I've I've got a ton of notes I, I had from our last conversation. I got a lot of questions for you. So um I, I give you the floor now. We're at mile marker number three. Sounds good. I appreciate that, Brent. It's good to be back. And thanks again, Eric. Uh mile marker number three is is something that I think needs to, again, you know, one of the things we talked about in our last interview, our last podcast, rather, sorry, was the, the less than stellar job our media does with alerting us to what's going on. And I asked people to think, had they heard about mile marker number one, the reclassification of gold as the world's only other tier one asset next to U.S. dollars and treasuries, mile marker number to the Chinese Belt Road and Rail Initiative. And I bet most of them hadn't, if they're being honest. Mile marker number three is one that everyone should know about and nobody seems to know about. And I look at it as maybe the biggest event in all of our lives. I like that. And yet our media is so inept and there is no journalistic integrity anymore that no one knows about it. But what is it? So. Brent, I think you're pretty darn close to the same age I am. I'll be 52 years old. I'm just guessing. I don't know how old you are, but I'll be 52. So we're right there. Yeah. In fact, wait a minute. I just turned 52 last Sunday. So I am now newly minted 52 years old. But the world that you and I grew up in, and I would venture the same one that Eric grew up in, you never, ever, 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 ever would have ever heard that we would have left a soldier behind enemy lines when we pulled out. Ever. We never would have left our soldiers behind the lines in Afghanistan. And the people who put their life on the lines, many of their friends and family died representing and and um, and, and benefiting the United States in their in their war in Afghanistan. We left them behind enemy lines and even gave their biometrics to the Taliban as we with with people hanging from a transport plane. I'm a patriot. I was humiliated. I was embarrassed to be an American. I watched this this president of ours get up there and humiliate the armed forces, humiliate the United States. Say what you want about the war. Uh, It it was a bad place to be from the get-go. That's irrelevant. Leaving your service members and your American citizens behind in a very hostile environment is something that never, ever would have happened in the country I grew up in. And I think there is no coincidence to the announcement of mile marker number three in the road to de-dollarization town. And and that is, I think, was specifically announced this day for maximum effect. So here we are licking our wounds from humiliation of leaving people behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. And the very next day, Saudi Arabia announces a joint military cooperation arrangement with Russia. Now, remember what we said in the first podcast, what makes the dollar the world reserve currency? It is the protection of the Saudi kingdom. It is the protection of the Saudi kingdom since 1974 that has allowed us to be the dollar, the world reserve currency, the petrodollar, because part of the condition that Kissinger struck with the Saudis in 74 is we will protect you. And for that protection, OPEC will denominate oil globally in dollars. And now who's protecting? Saudi Arabia? Oh, yeah, Russia is. Now, Now, the day after that, 
saw uh, Nigeria makes the exact same announcement. We are now being protected by Russia, too. Um, this is a now how, how, though, and, and I agree with you and everything you said about Afghanistan, but how is Russia in position to protect anyone right now? Well, I'll tell you, the day after they make that announcement with Nigeria, Russia comes out, and this is in a Zero Hedge article, that they are announcing that all of their nuclear-powered submarines are outfitted with hypersonic ICBMs. That was their way of saying, don't even think of messing with us the way you did Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi. The State Department immediately came out saying, this is a technology we are very concerned about. We don't have this technology these are the missiles that go up into the stratosphere and go Mach 10 and cannot be knocked down. They hit the ground at the speed of an asteroid. And that was their way of saying, don't mess with us. Look, maybe they aren't in position, but you'll see where I'm going with this conglomeration that is forming. But nonetheless, are you going to mess with, Are you if, if they have, are you going to go and declare war on a country and become adversarial if they have nuclear weapons and, and say they're not afraid to use them? I don't know. I don't think that would be very popular. Nonetheless, uh, maybe they're not in position to challenge us on a conventional war. Maybe they are. That's debatable. Maybe if it gets into a nuclear war, it doesn't matter who's got the better conventional army. This is something we don't ever want to find out, God forbid. But nonetheless, it's a declaration that was made. They struck a joint military cooperation agreement with both countries, the first largest OPEC producing country and the fifth. So subsequently, by the way, Nigeria has already agreed to sell their oil to China for the yuan denominated petro yuan bond, which is convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. What is gold? Tier one reserve asset. Saudi Arabia came out and said, we're contemplating doing the same thing. You don't say you're contemplating on the world stage, you're doing it, in my opinion. They're selling their gold, or their oil rather, to China for the petro-yuan bond also. So now, now is this, this yes. petro-yuan, because be, until listening to some of your YouTube videos, I didn't know this thing existed. I like to consider myself fairly well-versed in this stuff. China has their own big financial problems. Is the petro-yuan different than the regular yuan in terms of it in, in terms of the backing is this fixed to gold is how is this thing no it's a bond it's a it's a yuan denominated bond that is immediately convertible into gold on the shanghai gold exchange anytime anytime and so okay. that's what the, these countries don't want to hold it they want to convert it into gold immediately are the they shanghai do we gold know exchange. if they are converting it i do believe that they are based upon the massive number of deliveries that they're take that are 90 to 100 times greater than anything the COMEX has ever seen. Do I know for a fact? No, but I would suspect they would be very foolish to not. I would suspect this is what they are doing, building their stockpile of gold, which is now tier one. So do I know it for a fact? No, but I would suspect that they are. Now, last question um, on this. Yeah. So where then is China getting that volume of gold? No, they're the largest producers of it in the world and the largest accumulators of it. I don't know what funds there. Maybe there's a certain amount. I don't know exactly where all of their stockpiles come from, but maybe they're buying it enough to stockpile the exchange. They're producers. They're the largest producers in the world. I'm sure they're selling an awful lot to the exchange through the government. I don't know exactly how it is funded or where it comes from, but it is a massive player on the gold stage. You can Google the Shanghai Gold Exchange and you can see the amount of deliveries they've made. They're real. That's probably a, a, a good point. I probably should find out where indeed um, the the gold is, is coming from that gets on that exchange. But nonetheless, I can see that they have made an awful lot of deliveries. And yeah, actually, it's real. <laughs> new information for me. When I think of gold producers, never once has China crossed my mind. They are the number good. Just Googled it as we spoke. They're the number one producer in the world. Okay. Yeah. And so they produce it. They've been producing it even though it was uneconomical. They don't care yeah. what it costs to pull it out of the ground. They're doing it with our money the money that we give them for their party favors. And so, again, a lot of the things I say, I try to root it in in, in truth and then a little bit of, of extrapolation using Occam's razor. Mm -hmm. But, okay, so, so now we get to 2022 and things are really starting to come together. And I'm doing podcasts all over the place for the past two years talking about this linear progression of events and things are starting to accelerate. If you would have asked me in 20, 
2021 or 2020, do you think this will happen with Saudi Arabia? I mean, I've been blown away. I probably not, I would say, until it did. And and now this is also around the time they weren't taking Biden's phone calls. Either. Yes, exactly. And so if you think, well, wait, till, let me get to that in one second. So as we go through 2022, um, I think I don't think he went to Saudi Arabia to beg them for more oil. We are ruining their way of life. Why are we ruining their way of life? You see what California said. I mean, it's just absolutely asinine that by 2030, there will be no gas powered cars on the road. They're going to make it illegal. What happens if there's a natural, like a fire, uh, one of these giant forest fires and, and everyone has battery powered cars and everyone's leaving at the same time? How are you going to charge up if you need to? I mean, it's crazy. It's just crazy. But you know, we're ruining their way of life. So why would they do anything for us? We've already told them that we're going fully green. Uh, and so they have no need for us, right? So he didn't go there for that. He went there for another reason. And that other reason I'm going to talk about in a moment. But before that happened, comes mile marker post number four, and you touched on it. And that was, and and I and when I got to this point at Rick's conference, Rick Rule's conference here, I said, now my question to you all is this, was this intended or was this unintended? Now we hear, we've all heard about this guy named Klaus Schwab who said, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy and there'll be a great reset. And when he said that in 2019, I thought he was an idiot. But then I started to think about things and... Um, and I, and I wonder, you know, we have a $30 trillion debt. We have over $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities, Medicare, Medicaid. Social Security alone is $55 trillion underfunded. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, government, military, pensions. You put it all together with the entitlements north of $130 trillion. You have any idea how long ago a trillion seconds was? Don't Google it. I'm not going to Google it. I would say this is a guess probably around the birth of Christ. 31,688 years ago. That's a trillion seconds. And so we're 130 trillion in the hole. Do you think maybe they're thinking to themselves, well, geez, you know, what happens if interest rates rise? We're in trouble. What do we do? What do we do? Because at this point, 2022, the US had printed more money in the preceding two years than they did in the whole history of the United States. And I mean, think about that for a second. You're talking the amount of money that was printed is greater than all of the money ever created in all of the years prior to this moment in the whole history of the United States. And so they're thinking to themselves, hmm, what are we going to do if, if this how do we get out of this? How the heck do we ever get out of this problem? And I think they realize maybe that they can't, that there really isn't a way to get out of this system without blowing everything up. And, uh, you know, from, from the start of the pandemic until today, you're talking 227 years prior to this, we spent more money from the start of COVID till today, over $6 trillion dollars than it did in the 227 years prior to this. And if you earned $1 every second, it would take 966,484 years just to pay off the U.S. federal debt. That's just the debt. Uh, and and that's, that's not um, the unfunded liabilities. And I think they realize that we're in big trouble. Uh, most of this debt, a good portion of this debt, was created at the lowest interest rates in human history. So I ask you, as we take a look at mile marker number four, was this intended in a very diabolical way? Think of Klaus Schwab, was this intended? And that is, we are the world reserve currency. You talked about this in the last podcast. It is not our responsibility or our privilege to tell anyone who can and can't use it. That is for world opinion, not the U.S. government's job to say you can't use it. By weaponizing the U.S. dollar, I truly do believe we have incentivized and accelerated what is this progression of events dramatically. Uh, I do believe that we have incentivized the rest of the world to take a step back and say, hmm, are we next? Over the last seven months, China has done nothing but sell our treasuries to the tune of almost $120 billion. Do you think that they want to buy our treasuries if they are thinking 
they're going to freeze our assets. They're going to kick us out of SWIFT. You know, we need to we need to get out of the U.S., uh, our, our assets out of the U.S. We can throw them all into the Belt Road Initiative. We don't need to be holding U.S. treasuries if they're going to sanction us when we look at Taiwan. And I think that's why they're selling their bonds and not reinvesting them. I think they we have incentivized the rest of the world to de-dollarize. They look at us as being hypocritical, as being a bully, and I think they want to break the dollar hegemony. And I think, as you mentioned, it's idiotic. It's idiotic to do what we did. And the question is, yeah, the advisors may be diabolical, but do they? Did, was this done to create a villain? Because they already say that Putin is the cause of inflation, and I say BS. Inflation is always a monetary event. It is an increase in the money supply and a decrease in production. Does that sound like the last three years to you? Sure does to me. They put $6 trillion into the money supply and told everyone not to work. You want to talk about more money chasing less stuff? Well, there it is. No one was producing stuff. Everyone was being paid to sit at home and accumulate stuff, creating massive price inflation and distortions. All of that money that was created, most of it went into financial assets, blowing up stocks, bonds, and real estate to all-time highs and cryptocurrencies in an environment that it should not have happened. It created distortions and misallocations, tremendous distortions and misallocations. So anyways, we talk about the weaponizing of the dollar as mile marker number four. Was it intended? And I would argue maybe it was. Let's keep going down the path. We're almost at the end. Uh, and I don't know what, what the end is yet. But now we get into some really heavy-duty things here that just happened the last couple of weeks. Nigeria and Saudi Arabia, as we talked about, are selling their oil to, to China for the yuan-denominated bond. But here is the scariest thing. Saudi Arabia publicly announces, and Google this, they are contemplating joining the BRICS nations. What? Are you serious? The BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, China, India, South Africa, coalition. Yes, Russia's not strong enough to do it on their own. Yes, China's <clears throat> not strong enough to do it on their own. But how about you coalesce? Put all of these countries together. You know the old saying, I, I, you're the enemy of my enemy. So now you're my friend. All of these, who just joined the BRICS nations? Iran did, um, Venezuela did, Algeria did. We were just told recently that Turkey is going to join the, um, uh, the BRICS nations, that Egypt is going to join the BRICS nations, and Saudi Arabia. When they say they're contemplating it, they don't say that on the world stage. So let me ask you, why? Did Biden go to Saudi Arabia? It wasn't to beg for oil when we are ruining their way of life. It was not. It was to beg them to not join the BRICS nations. What other things have happened since then? Turkey's president, Erojin, he says he will only pay for Russian energy with currencies other than U.S. dollars. How about the fact that India, we're their largest trading partner, they said uh, all uh, domestic and international trades will now be done with rupee, not with dollars. Um, how about the Northwest North South corridor that just came about, which is safe passage uh, from um, Iran to India and through um, past Russia? Everyone else has to go around the Straits of Hormuz. How about the fact that we are seeing every single one of these countries strike deals? outside the U.S. dollar for trade or settlement in energy and in unilateral trade deals that are being set up across, across the globe. And look at Russia only selling their oil for rupee or for uh, ruble or for gold, not selling it for dollars any longer. And so you are seeing what I believe is a mass, mass a de-dollarization. There was an event in St. Petersburg just a few weeks ago, and they talked about the new the new G8, the four BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, plus Iran, Indonesia, Turkey, Mexico. And, you know, you want to add in all of these countries that are beginning to join the, uh, the nation, as I mentioned, the Russia-Iran-India corridor. This is linking Northwest Russia to the Persian Gulf via the Caspian Sea. You have to have special 
access to get in. Everyone else has to go around, excuse me, the Suez Canal, not the Straits of Hormones, the Suez Canal. Um, you have all of these deals that are being struck that are sidestepping the dollar. And I guess what I want to ask you is to think about how this could all blow up. Um, and let's talk about how this how this creates the great reset. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and one of the things that this year, again, I mentioned during our first episode together that I thought that, you know, essentially declaring economic war on Russia, not a popular opinion, but I thought it was incredibly stupid, doing anything to undermine this international system that's based on the dollar. What and if you look, you know, you mentioned obviously what the ruble has done. The ruble is trading at all time highs because Russia came back after it, you know, the ruble collapsed immediately after the invasion, and now it's at all time highs because they're saying, okay, you want to buy our oil, you got to pay us in ruble now, creating incredible demand for ruble. What I don't understand about what's happening is, given all of these things that you've that you're discussing here, why do you think the dollar is trading so strongly against other currencies this year? Because U.S. dollar has been very strong this year. What it's the, it's it's the nicest uh, it's the prettiest mayor in the slaughterhouse. I mean, look if everyone's running inflation and and all the countries of the world are inflating away, yet the dollar's up ten or fifteen percent against them all. It's it's kind of like a reinforced loop. If you're in in these other countries, you throw your money into U.S. Treasuries. The two percent interest you're getting is gravy on top of the ten percent increase over your currency. So they're making a return. Yeah. There's no. There's nothing structurally sound about it. It won't end well when everyone pulls out. But it's just that it's the nicest shirt in the in the dirty laundry basket and and i think that's one of the reasons why it's so strong the other thing I, and and i would argue too it's interest rates in the sense that you can buy to your treasuries now and get yourself north of three percent three three and a half almost three and a half percent right now so i think that that's causing some of the dollar demand and unlike a lot of people in my business i was actually pretty on board with what chairman powell was doing in terms of pretty rapidly raising those interest rates. I knew I'd say we're in a recession now. You knew it was going to throw us into, re, into a recession, but I think he had to do it and he had to try to get ahead of it. But but the issue that I'm having now is you have the Fed, in my mind, doing the right thing. And then against this backdrop of all these other countries now sort of th- questioning what their alignments are. And I would also agree with you. I think a lot of that happened post-Afghanistan because it drew into question well, how reliable of an ally we were. You know, Against that bat- backdrop, in the last two, three weeks or so, our federal government has just decided to spend another trillion dollars. I mean, we did, I did some videos on this as well. We did the CHIPS Act, which wasn't 50 billion. It was really 250 billion. We did Inflation Reduction Act, which is another 700 billion. Biden announced yesterday he's doing student loans, 500 billion to a trillion. We don't know over the next 10 years. And so there is no, at least among the people in charge, maybe there's some cooler heads at the Fed. I want to give them some credit there, but there's not in at the at the level of the federal government. They have to be seeing the same things that you are. And in in that environment, you would have to say, okay, look, what has brought us this massive power and influence and what do we do to make sure we don't lose that? And it just seems to me like they're doing the opposite. Well, and, and that's why I want to put it in the light of the Great Reset, which we'll come back to in a moment. I want to address your comment about Powell. The National Bureau of Economic Research came out in July and said that the 13.6% inflation rate of in June of 1980, if calculated the way it was today, would be 9.1%. In other words, they stripped out food, energy, and housing out of the CPI measurement. And so it's a bogus metric. In other words, John Williams of Shadow Stats would tell us, and again, he only uses the way that they used to measure inflation prior to 1980, that inflation is about 18% right now. But let's just take their bogus 8.5% August CPI reading, if you're getting 3% on a two-year treasury factored against 8.5% inflation, you're negative, negative 5.5% real rate of return. And I would argue that, and I do this with all due respect, that Powell has no intention of getting tough on inflation, zero, zero intention of getting tough on inflation because Paul Volcker in 1980 raised the federal funds rate to 19 and three quarters percent. That was getting tough on inflation. Bang, over with, done, right? Now you raise, you raise the federal funds rate to two and a quarter percent. 
right? So that you have three, just about 3% on the 10-year treasury and you're at 9% inflation. How is that getting tough on anything? They talk about selling 80 billion a month off their balance sheet. In the past 20 months, when they said they were going to start doing this, they've only sold 40 billion. They're not quantitatively tightening. They're not getting tough on inflation. They don't want to be written in history books or about in history books for blowing up the American dream. But what if you create a villain? That villain, and that's why I ask you, was this intended? Do they realize we are so far down the rabbit hole that the only path to take is through inflation? Do they realize that we have to somehow reset and start over? I don't know. I mean, do you have to be stupid to to antagonize the rest of the world by by weaponizing the dollar in a very hypocritical position that we are in the largest debtor nation in the history of the world and and tell them they can't use the currency for whatever they're doing? I think that not only that, if Ukraine was Mexico and and we were Russia, so we're in a war with Mexico right now. If if Russia was in our shoes, they sanction our assets. They freeze everything. And because we feel, you know, that, that we're being encroached upon by NATO in Mexico, we're, we're feeling threatened. And all of a sudden, Russia kicks us out of SWIFT, freezes all of our assets, steals our assets, sanctions us, provides $90 billion, Stinger missiles, drones, and intelligence on where to drop the bombs. Was that a declaration of war? Would we be going crazy? Go get them, go get them, go get them. Of course we would. We have incentivized all of them to do this to us, and it's just beginning. And my question to you is this. Um, is this plausible? All right, well, here's the question I ask. You blow up assets to all-time highs through creating more money in, in three years than in the history of the country. You incentivize um, uh, speculation where hedge funds can borrow a billion dollars at 1%, plow it into cryptocurrencies, real estate, REITs, and and, uh, and into uh, uh, stocks and bonds, and make massive returns, outsized returns, where people think it's normal to have your equity portfolio double in a year or your house to double in a year. You've been at this long enough to know that doesn't happen very often, if at ever. And if it does, it's, it kind of sounds like tulip ball, but rhymes with. And anyways, so... In Austrian economics, they would call this the crack-up boom, where a massive ex uh, expansion in, in credit and capital, especially with low interest rates, would create distortions and misallocations of capital and resources, creating impossibility of price discovery. So we've incentivized the world to move away from us. And now we, we blow up all of the asset prices before that. Think of the Great Reset, which was announced in 2019. Saudi Arabia is going to join the BRICS nations. What makes the dollar the world reserve currency? Saudi Arabia's uh, acceptance of our protection to dot for OPEC to then value oil globally in dollars. So what would happen? Just what would happen? Because the Fed doesn't want to get tough. If the Fed wanted to get tough, they would just stop pussyfooting around and they would raise the federal funds rate to nine freaking percent right now. Bang, done. That's tough. Pull off the damn Band-Aid and let everyone feel what pain really is when mortgages go to 16, 17, 18, 19%. Let everyone feel the pain of what happens to their bond portfolio that was all accumulated over the last several years at between zero and 1%. And it goes to 10% or 11 on the 10-year treasury. Those bonds was 97% of their value in the blink of an eye. See what happens to all the corporations who expanded well beyond what they would normally do in an environment with normal interest rates because those low interest rates incentivize them to take on more debt and expand and do things they wouldn't have otherwise done when rates start to rise. How easy is it for them to maintain that debt burden? You're talking a big ass problem. And if the Fed wanted to get tough on inflation, they would blow everything up in this economy. It would be the depression. In fact, Zoltan Pozar just came out last week. He was worked at the New York Fed forever. He's the repo market guru. He said Powell needs to raise rates to 6% and leave them there for an extended period of years to get rid of inflation, even at the expense of an economic depression. This is a former New York Fed guy, the repo market expert saying, if you want to get tough on inflation, rates got to go at least a double from here and stay there for years 
in order to get rid of it and, and at the expense of the depression. They don't want that. So they have a villain. Maybe that's what they want. I don't know. Are you stupid to do what you do to Russia? Because what would happen if this? Here's the big great reset right here. Saudi Arabia comes out arm in arm with Xi and Putin and the rest of the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, China, India, South Africa, Iran, Algeria, uh, Venezuela, and, and Turkey, and Egypt. You're talking 90% of human population, 90% coalescing against the West. And remember what has settled on the Belt Road Initiative for the past three years to the tune of 20 billion in successful transactions? Oh yeah, the beta test, we'll call it the Chinese digital yuan. So how about this? Saudi Arabia says, hey, thanks for the memories, guys. It's been really swell. But we are being protected by Russia now. And now as a member of the BRICS nations, China and India, and all of the other countries that represent 90% of human population. And, um, but we've decided that we are going to open up oil purchases in other currencies, not just the dollar. We're going to do rupee. We're going to do the new yuan. We're going to do ruble, euro, yen, gold, and dollars. And in a matter of seconds, every single country on the planet Earth that has had to own dollars will have a dilemma. Do you remember the movie Trading Places? Sell, Mortimer, sell. And <laughs> yeah. when they all start selling, it becomes a hot potato. Well, sell, 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 sell. So they all dump dollars. Those yeah, dollars what, come home. They'll spend them is what they'll do. Because you, know, you mentioned, obviously, hyperinflationary economies. And you look at any... I was in Zimbabwe in 2006, and if you look at any hyperinflationary economy, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, uh, you know, uh, Weimar Republic, Germany... It flows, the dollars flow, they do flow through the financial system because they don't, they want to do something with them. If you look at the, the, the equity charts of all those comp all those countries, they look the same when they've hit that point. Um, so if I'm one of those central banks, I'm going buying shares of Apple or Microsoft. I'm, I'm spending them as fast as I can. I'm buying real estate. I'm buying anything I can with these dollars, whether it's still worth something. Right. Oil, gold, whatever you can buy, get whatever rid of buy. them because everyone's dumping them. Everyone is moving out of them. Those dollars come home. Those dollars come home creating hyperinflation. What is the byproduct of hyperinflation? Rising interest rates. Massively, you have to compensate for the loss of purchasing power. As interest rates spike, doing the dirty work for the Fed, finding a villain, those sons of guns in the BRICS nations, they are now coalescing with 90% of human population. Now stop for one second. Let's talk about the, the, the Russians just coming out last week <clears throat> and saying, we are sick and tired of the manipulation on COMEX and on the London Metals Exchange. You can Google this. Russia asked for a new metals platform. And they said, we want a new metals platform domiciled in Moscow. And it will, it will be for the center of gold trading for the Eurasian continent, for all of the BRICS nations. How do you blow up the COMEX market and how do you see gold and silver go to the moon? Remember, it's tier one. I'm going to connect all the dots here in a second. Um, after I talk about this point, I'm going to put it all together and connect them. How do you blow up the COMEX in the Western market system with related to metals prices? Here's how you do it. You get all these countries to agree to, this is a good idea, let's open up this metals platform in Moscow. And they wanted, they said they want to do the gold fix there, just like it's done in London. So right now, with the price of gold today at um, 1760, let's say they open it up and peg it at 2,000 an ounce in Russia. What's going to happen? One word, arbitrage. Yeah, exactly. They are going to drain the Western vaults of all the gold, and they are going to sell it at a $400 premium to Moscow, to the new exchange. And bang, everything's gone. The exchanges collapse. All of that gold is going to flow eastward where they can get that arbitrage. And then what happens? Then they own all the gold. They'll jack the price up as high as they want. You just crushed the, the Western system in a matter of, of seconds by doing something along those lines. Who are the countries that own all the gold? The RICS and BRICS, Russia, China, India, South Africa. You already saw that they're the largest producers. They're also the largest accumulators. 
close second to Russia in both of those equations, India not too far behind in terms of accumulation, you have the countries that represent all of the world's commodities, the lion's share of them. China owns the majority of all the rare earth metals. Platinum and palladium are mined in Africa and in Russia, fertilizer in Russia, oil and gas in Russia and Saudi Arabia joining the BRICS nations. Do you see where we're going? The Zoltan Pozar just said what? We are entering Bretton Woods 3, a system dominated by commodities. What about the Belt Road Initiative and the settling of all of these currency, all these transactions on the digital yuan? Well, there's your beta test. How does this all really get funky really, really fast? Remember what gold was reclassified as? A tier one reserve asset. Oh, that's right. Remember how quickly the dollar could collapse? Oh, yeah, that's right. Saudi Arabia says buy, and the dollar collapses, and everything vaporizes. The gold's tier one. Why are all the central banks buying it and taking possession of it? Why do we see the London Metals Exchange, the COMEX, and the ETFs being bled dry of all of their metal right now? 100 million ounces of silver was taken out of the ETF, silver ETF, in the last four months. There's only 55 million ounces of silver left in the COMEX market in the registered category. There's been more than 55 million ounces delivered in the last four months off of COMEX, and that is what sets the price for the world? Are you kidding me? How about the word rehypothecation? This is exactly what the Hunt brothers saw. How about the fact that we just mentioned in one day, 41% of all the gold kilos at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange were delivered representing over 50-some million ounces a day for the last 50 days being taken off. Do you see this progression of everything taking accumulation of hard assets, taking possession? So what if you see, oh, we didn't even mention, maybe you could call the signpost number five, and that is China and Russia just came out 10, or 10 days ago or two weeks ago, maybe three at the most. Google this one too. We are issuing a new world reserve currency, we being the BRICS nations. We are issuing a new world reserve currency, us BRICS nations. Okay, so now you got 90% of human population, 90%. All of these countries with all the commodities and the hatred towards the hypocrisy of the West coalescing against the West. Um, you can't go and attack all of these people with a military that is depleted because you kicked half of the people out for not getting the vaccine. And you can't do it countries that have nuclear weapons. You can't do it. But um, they don't even need to go that far. All they need to do is dump dollars and they destroy everything. But how do you replace a dollar that is so much better than all of the other currencies? There's never been one that's better, right? Well, what if all of them combine? And oh, that's right. There's this new thing called distributed ledger technology. Oh, yeah. Maybe that can take the BS out of um, like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, take the BS out of everything. Because what? Every one of these countries have what? Commodities or gold, right? They all pledge gold to the new BRICS World Reserve currency with the gold pegging denoted the immutability of it on a new distributed ledger that has had three years, almost four worth of beta testing. And it works. The whole world can see the veracity of the gold held on the distributed ledger. You don't have to trust the Chinese. You don't have to trust the Russians, the Indians, any of them. The whole world can open source see where it's held, who's holding it, the whole nine yards. Maybe it's held in a central vault in Switzerland and it's audited by the big three. I don't know how it plays out, but do you see how this coalition from a standpoint of economic strength, military strength, away from the West and their hypocrisy and they're telling you they're going to do it. They've already told us it's a tier one asset. You can see they're all repatriating it. You can see they've all accumulated it. You can see they are all forming an alliance and the dollar's not part of it. Just look at the Belt Road Initiative. Just the China and Africa alone represents 75% or Asia and Africa, 75% of human population. Then you throw in a good portion of South America that's as leaving all of the countries, these Eastern European countries that I talked to you about, uh, Turkey, Hungary, Poland, Czech Republic, they're all going to bail. They're the ones that have been buying all the gold. They aren't in the European Union currency. They're in the Union. They're going to bail. And they're already telling already telling the BRICS nations they intend to. So how do you get a great reset? Well, that's exactly how you get a great reset. You see the Western 
the direction that our leaders have taken us down have accelerated and and coalesced most of the world against us. And I think it's happening right in front of us. I hope I'm wrong, but this progression of events that I keep seeing is leading me to believe that I'm not. And when you put into it a new exchange where they can break the, 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 uh, the manipulation of the Western markets like that by just setting a fix $500 higher than the spot price here, it's over. They'll own all the gold and silver. It will all go to that to, for arbitrage, all of it. And I mean, if you just if you just look at the the amount of gold that was delivered off of off of the COMEX the other day, that amounted to what did we say that amounted to? That amounted to uh, give me one second. The dollar amount amounted to whatever fifty nine tons, roughly fifty nine tons. Let me just say one more thing. I think I may have already said this. Those other reportables this year have taken off 10,307,900 ounces of gold. But what do you, if you take 10 million ounces of gold and sell it to the other exchange at a $500 an ounce profit, are you rich beyond your wildest dreams forever? Sure, you are. So this would happen. This would happen. And I think it's going to happen uh, if this progression of events continues. Now, what I would like you to do, Brent, is poke holes in anything I just said, because I hope I'm wrong. But I have a hard time believing that these things are done just for the hell of it. No, I, I think I, I think it was, was it Roosevelt that said there's no accidents in politics. The one thing that has been I don't agree with a lot of the decisions is put that way that have been made by our leadership, not just in the last couple of years, but really for the last 20, 25 years or so. But I look at what are the alternatives and equally inexplicable to some of the things that we're doing. To me, is also what's happening in China. You have they spent the last couple of years persecuting their business leaders. They have uh, a, we have a massive debt problem. They've got a huge debt problem. They've kept their population essentially locked down for the last two years, basically torturing their own people. I think they're you know, they're in a demographic time bomb. They've got there's so many there's so many cards against them. My focus specifically in, in conversations I've had about this idea of China being the next. You know, hyperpower equivalent to the U.S. I just don't agree with that. I think that they have too many chips lined up against them. You bring up a compelling argument, though, when you talk about when you talk about countries aligning themselves together. The challenge I think they would have with it is similar to the euro. You've got, you know, Greece does one thing, why Germany pays all the bills, and and if you're building a currency on that, uh, unless there's a way to audit it, uh, a way to really prove that the backing is there. That becomes a problem. I think, you know, from my standpoint, if I want to invest in in yuan or if I want to invest in U.S. dollars, it's probably going to be even still U.S. dollars. The thing that that concerns me a lot when I look at everything that you just said, there is it's not, you know, economic warfare also often leads to real bullets, and and that's when I'm listening to what you're saying in terms of the, the this chain of events, this series of events. Um, to me, that the horror show scenario is you're looking. You want to talk about a great reset? Start putting, you know, Russia, China, uh, the United States, Western Europe in a real hot war. That's not just what we've got going on in Ukraine. Um, and that, to me, it, it would be massively concerning. Massively concerning. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why they don't need to do it. It's just a deterrent in and of itself. Look at the countries involved in 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 the West. You have Japan, Canada, Western Europe, and the U.S. They're all insolvent. All of them. They're all broke. And all the other countries have all the commodities. And and you're right. But every <laughs> every the only the only issue that I the, here's the way I see it because right now we are our finances are a mess. We agree on that. This is a conversation yep. I have with my clients. Um, but compared to relative to the rest of the world, we make some colossally dumb decisions. But despite of all the the issues that you have here, you still semi have a rule of law far greater than anywhere in in the rest of the world. Although I would I would argue that's being significantly eroded. You have a political system that, for better and worse, it's ugly right now. It's nasty. You know, it's still a better system than you have in big chunks of the world. So we're you know the, the whole neighborhood is going to hell. But but our 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 house is still looking is still looking the best. So it, you know it's. It's it, it it's a tough one. It's a tough one to it's a tough one to refute because I do see I, I see there that you look at political leaders and also 
you know, corporate leaders and the people that are really pulling the strings around the entire world, there has to be a certain degree of honor and there has to be a certain degree of trust in these large institutions. A lot of that trust has been lost. It's happened not just in the United States, it's happened globally. And the question and and the problem that you have is usually the way these things get resolved is it can be pretty ugly <laughs> to get it resolved. I'm an optimistic person and I think that you have to be, but I also don't think you can whistle through the graveyard here. And my hope is that you know, in the United States, particularly, I can speak to our country, and I can also speak. I've been to fifty plus countries around the world. In this country, I hope that enough people are waking up to recognize that the people that that we've granted an enormous amount, we've done it willingly, not you individually or me individually, but collectively, we have handed over the keys to the car to to a lot of people that do not, I believe, have our best interest at heart. And the question is, are we going to figure that out in time? And I and I don't I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. Neither do I, but one of the things that you talked about at Central Themes seemed to be around lack of trust. You said, I would choose the dollar over the yuan, so would I. But what but if you it would was choose a, gold over the dollar. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, yeah, and what if it was a a conglomerate of all these countries and in terms of, of you know, in terms of, of validation, isn't that what the whole premise of distributed ledger technology is? And if yeah. every country had to maintain a certain amount of gold pegged to the to the new currency and and for all the world to see on a distributed ledger. Um, well, well, what's interesting about, about what you're saying is, again, crypto is another asset class. I can't tell you to buy it or not buy it. You know, my RJ views that as nitroglycerin and I'll blame him. I think I think there's there's a there there when you when you talk about these crypto assets for sure. But you look at China's they declared outright war against the miners in their own country. It just doesn't happen there anymore where they were one of the central places to do it. Um, and it begs the question, are they running that business out there so they can replace it with what they want to replace it to replace it with? You know, well, they issued, they, they issued their digital yuan in parallel with the renminbi, the paper currency a few years ago. And I don't, I don't disagree with you. I'm not telling. I, I don't view a central bank digital currency as a cryptocurrency. Yeah. I view it as as a central bank currency. With the only thing that it is is it allows transparency because you can see everything immutability on a distributed ledger. No matter what, you can see the veracity of it. The whole world can. And the dangerous so if, thing is it can be turned off in an, in a flash. Yeah, but you could argue. You know, go to your bank. Go to your bank and say, I need $50,000 in $100 bills tomorrow and watch yeah. what happens. We are a digital currency already in the United States. We're a digital currency, just but there's no distributed ledger. It can be turned off. It's called SWIFT. Boom, you're locked out. So everything is digital nowadays. Sorry, you didn't get your wire. It didn't come. Sorry, your direct deposit didn't show up. Sorry, you're locked out. We're a digital currency without uh, without transparency. Everything is a digital currency. There is a fraction of the amount of paper dollars out there uh, compared to the money supply. So sure. you you know it's all digital. But what what the distributed ledger does is it at least puts a little bit of transparency into it. And if all the countries have to pledge gold for the world to see to gain credibility and make it open source, you can. You can see it. Here well, it is. Let me ask you an interesting question here. I know I'm looking at our clock here. I know we've got you probably for about five or six minutes or so. Yeah. Um, if if that happens, where you've got this amalgamation of of countries that, and I do believe that that we're moving into this world where you know resources in some ways are very intentionally being made scarce, but they're going to become very important. If they are working with now a gold backed asset, the West will have to do something very similar. Now, what do you say to clients that have accumulated physical gold? Because in the world that you're talking about, where the Saudis say, you know what, forget about it. We're not, we're not using US dollars anymore. Where the United States has to do anything it can to protect the dollar. What stops it from seizing it from US citizens, just like Roosevelt did? Seizing physical metals from US citizens. Uh, because when Roosevelt confiscated gold in April of 1933, everyone owned it. It was currency. It was legal tender. Now... It's the pimple on the elephant. Virtually nobody owns it in this country. And I guess they could. It would amount to a hill of beans. I think the backlash that it would create where our, where we employed Venezuelan-style nationalization of assets would look be looked upon in a very um, – it wouldn't be if, – if our leaders – I'm going to answer it a different way. Well, let's just put it to this way. If our lead, if, 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 if our 
creditors feared Venezuelan-style nationalization of assets. I don't think anyone would ever buy our stuff ever again. They would never trust us ever again. But how about this? And if you realize that most people who own gold believe in the NRA and they're not patriots the way they used to be in 1933, I would argue that it would be it would be foolhardy to do so. But how about this? You create two funds. Let's call one SLV. Let's call one GLD. SLV is is the largest stockpile of silver in the world. And who is the custodian? Oh, yeah, this group, this cartel bank who just paid $920 million for manipulating the metals market. They're called JP Morgan. They're the fox guarding the hen house. So HSBC Bank controls the fourth largest stockpile of gold in the world. That is um, GLD. So how about this? Friday night, tomorrow night, uh, the, the price of gold and silver close. The market closes. You wake up Monday morning and GLD and SLV have been nationalized. And you have all that money in your money market account. And they say, hey, you can still go buy gold from a company like Miles Franklin or the U.S. Mint. We didn't... Um, we didn't, we didn't uh, break any laws or infringe any civil liberties. The prospectus gives us the right to do this. Uh, what have we done? And they can look the world in the face and say, what? We didn't do anything wrong. And they'd be sitting on the largest stockpile of silver in the world and the fourth largest stockpile of gold in the world without rattling the bushes. I think to go door to door in safe deposit boxes, safe deposit boxes, Everyone in the world would dump our assets so fast it wouldn't be funny if they feared that type of nationalization of assets. So I don't think it would be self-serving at all for them to confiscate gold and silver. In 33, everybody owned it. It was money. Everyone was walking around with gold coins in their pocket. Now, you know, you're a, you're a financial advisor. You've been doing this forever. Most people don't own any gold and silver anymore. So it would not benefit them to, I think, the backlash the unintended consequences would outpace the benefit. So you have two giant vacuums of, of gold and silver held by, by commercial banks who are the ones suppressing the price. They're part of the game. And there is no conspiracy to say that they're, they're the ones suppressing the price when they just admitted to it and paid a $920 million fine. And three of their traders, including the Michael Nowak, the head trader of the entire desk, is going to prison for it. So this is just a week ago that they, they they were found guilty. So, you know, a year ago they paid the fine and it could have brought them all down because they were brought up on RICO charges. And for some stupid reason, they, they didn't get the RICO charges thrown at them. They That wasn't proven. But when you got the head of the desk, basically came out and said they learned all this from a guy who, uh, from Bear Stearns who came over and taught them all how to do it. Bear Stearns went out of business when silver went to $21. I'm going to tell everyone to Google Chris Marcus, Bart Chilton. Chris Marcus is a buddy of mine. He runs Arcadia Economics. Before I go, I'll simply say this to you. Bart Chilton did an interview with him. The only one he's ever done where he admitted this. He said he that that Jamie Dimon was called into the office of Bernanke and um, what was his name? Uh, the the uh, Treasury Secretary, Hank Paulson. And he said, look, you need to take over Bear Stearns' short position. They just went bankrupt because silver went to 21 bucks an ounce. They had the largest short position ever, bankrupted them. And he said, well, I can do that, guys, but I'm going to be over position limits. And they said, well, okay, we'll give you a certain amount of time to get your short positions in order so you're not in violation of position limits. At the end of that time period, Bart Chilton, the he former head of the CFTC, Commodity Future Trading Commission, went to his superiors and said they – have in fact increased their short positions. They have not decreased it. They need to be prosecuted. They are in violation of antitrust law. They're breaking the law. And he said, back down, was told to back down. It's a political decision. He admitted this on Chris Marcus's show. You can YouTube it right now. He died a week later. Just saying, maybe there's, maybe it was legitimate. He died a week later. And he came out and admitted that that they were told it was a political decision to back down that J.P. Morgan was, in essence, doing the biddings of the U.S. government. All I can simply tell you is this. There is fact in what I'm telling you. There's also a little bit of supposition. But I'll, I'll tell you that um, it would be much easier for them to take those ETFs held by the crooks that manipulate the price of gold and silver that do the work for blurring of the canary in the gold mine, if you will, then it would be to go door to door to someone like me or people who own gold and silver and deal with that. It would be very dirty. Instead, they can have all their cake and eat it too. And it's all wrapped in a vault with a big pink bow on it. So 
that would be my comeback to that. Desperate governments do do desperate things. I'm not discounting that, but nonetheless, I think that um, I think it wouldn't it would not serve them well to uh, to do something like this when they have they could have their cake and eat it too by taking the ETFs. Well, Andy, I could talk to you for another two hours about this because I've jotted down a, a ton of notes and, and I hope at some point we continue the discussion in the future. I'd love to have me back. I'd, I'd love it. And I'm going to have you on my show too, when I do it here in the next few weeks. No, I, I look forward to that. And uh, again, anybody wants to reach it. Uh, I know we talked about this in the first episode, but how, how do they get a hold of you? So our new website will be done in about two weeks. Uh, as we speak right now, what is it? It is uh, the 25th of August. I would say 10 days to two weeks, our new site will be done. We still have a website, milesfranklin.com. You are not allowed to purchase on it. The store is inoperable. Our new one will allow purchasing. But the best way to reach me would be to send me an email at andy at milesfranklin. Send me uh, your comments. Shoot some holes in what I had to say. I'm happy to answer it. And uh, just so you know, we've been doing this for 33 years. We've never had a customer complaint. We've done $7 billion in sales. We are U.S. Mint authorized resellers, one of only 27 in the world. But when I moved to Florida, I left my corporate office in Minnesota. It is the only state in America that you have to be licensed and bonded to transact precious metals. And um, almost every online company in America has boycotted the state of Minnesota because they don't want to be licensed and bonded in what is a federally non-regulated industry. The bonding alone is enough to make every company say, screw Minnesota, I'll work elsewhere. We're very proud of our reputation. U.S. Mint representatives, no customer complaints, worldwide exclusives with Brinks, but none of that means anything compared to the Minnesota licensing and bonding requirements. So uh, we'd love to talk to your um, listeners and, and educate them and answer their questions, make sure they get the very best price in America from a company that's never had a customer complaint and is double accredited, both by credited, both by the state of Minnesota and the United States Mint. So I I think it's worthwhile to mention that, not to be braggadocious, but because it's dangerous dealing in this industry if you don't know who you're talking to. Because it's federally non-regulated, there are a lot of companies out there that uh, do the wrong thing. And in the last six or seven years, three companies in particular have gone bankrupt with about $700 million gone. So give us a chance. If you have questions, send me an email. I really enjoyed this a lot, and I'd like to do it again. I think you uh, you see things very, very clearly, or at least have an open enough mind to listen. And that's something that I think is sadly missing today. You know, it used to be you could have an opinion in this country, and now it seems that you can't anymore without, you know, visceral hatred. So uh, I thank you for being a gentleman and listening to, to my take on things, giving me your respectful uh, comments. And I think that's what this is about. If we never listen to each other, we'll never grow. Uh, and I thank you for it. And thank you for this opportunity. And I really do hope we can pick up where we left off uh, here somewhere real soon. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And again, I think that, you know, there's, there are certain things, um, there are certain things you do in your life to, that you hope you never need. And that this is not a suggestion to buy or not buy anything. But, you know, I pay my life insurance premiums. I've got several life insurance policies. I pray to God that I pay out through these things for my entire life and uh, and never see a dime of that money back. Um, and I think that the, the, the medium that you're working in for sure in terms of precious metals has been around for thousands and thousands of years. It will, it, those gold coins that you are selling will hope, you know, surely outlast all of our lives on this. And I think that I think that much like I will answer clients when they ask me about you know cryptocurrencies and digital assets is I think there's a there there, and um, and there can be there can be places in people's portfolios for for other ideas outside of the publicly traded markets. So I really thank you for for coming on and and uh, and Eric, you made this introduction, and so I really thank you for putting the two of us together, and uh, you give me a lot to think about, Andy, and uh, definitely want to continue the discussion. I've got tons of notes. And again, just thank you for, for coming on and sharing your views. Pleasure is mine, Eric. Also, thank you. It's always good to chat with you too. So uh, until next time, fellas, and let's do it again soon. I uh, hope you all stay well, and I'll look forward again to picking up where we left off. Absolutely. I have been blessed to be in the room with the two of you uh, just during this conversation. So thank you both so much. And of course, our last thank yous for you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. 
And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this will actually help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.